0: Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources.
1: Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be digging into the topic of research, of clinical practice, of occupational therapy, of neurofeedback, and what that really means, and maybe a little bit how that differentiates from biofeedback, from neurobiofeedback, all of these sorts of terms that we're hearing out there. Today, we've got an occupational therapist from British Columbia in Canada who works clinically in this population, very, very excited to share her and her philosophy and her clinical background and her research with our audience today. So today's guest is Zara Doreno from Surrey Neuroplasticity Clinics, and she is going to join us and inform us about a lot of things around occupational therapy. So thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Oh, it's going to be a blast. As we were talking earlier, I was like, whoa, 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 save that, save that, save that. We got we to gotta keep that in the recording here. Uh, the, the, the people who listen to this need to hear what you have to say. And I want to save you the time <laughs> from having to repeat it. So maybe for the listeners, Sarah, one of my missions is to try to help the greater community really get a better understanding of what occupational therapy really, really is. And for those of you that are listening actively to the podcast, thank you. But some of our previous guests, uh, Devin from Tree, I think did a really good job talking a little bit about that. But maybe quickly for our audience, why don't you explain what an occupational therapist is and does?
0: Yeah, great. So I love this question. I get it all the time. A lot of people think that we just work with getting people back to work because of the term occupation, but that's a little small part of what we do. Occupation actually in our definition is anything that occupies your time that's meaningful. So we call ourselves experts in function. What we try to do is rehabilitate people by using the things that they love and the things that are meaningful to them. So let's say someone has a brain injury and they love to play guitar. We might break that activity down to its smallest components so that they can get back to doing the thing that they love. That's it in a nutshell.
1: I love that you kind of distilled that term of occupation, because I think that's so widespread, that mindset around it. But it really is about that meaningful activity. So for the listeners here, let's say these are people who may be researchers like yourself, some of your background might be clinical people who work in the brain health space. These could be individuals who Maybe they are struggling following a brain injury. Maybe they are struggling following a chronic health diagnosis. Maybe they're loved ones of someone in that space. What's your main message, given all that you've learned and continue to learn about the world of brain health from your perspective? What would you like people to better understand?
0: I think the main thing for me is that we know when somebody has a brain injury or something happens within your brain, let's say there's trauma or like physical or psychological trauma that changes your brain. We know that neuroplasticity works both ways. So trauma or brain injury or anything like that can change our brain for the worse, but we can also change our brain for the better with neuroplasticity. And there's so much hope in that. And the main thing that I see in my clinical practice is that if people don't have hope, they don't get better. And more than anything, what I want to drive to the, the world is that there's so much hope in brain health, so much. Our brains have an amazing capacity to change that never stops, and maintaining that hope that change is possible can make a world of difference in your own life and the lives of everyone around you.
1: Yeah, it's a very optimistic picture, right? And you know, how do you think about someone that maybe been on this journey, let's say recovering from a brain injury, but the people that have been taking care of them clinically have kind of suggested you've gone as far as you can go. You know, we've done traditional physical therapy. We've kind of seen the rehab program through that particular lens of maybe PT. So we're kind of at, you know, let's say the 10 year mark, and we haven't really exhausted opportunities for occupational therapy or more active neuropsychological therapy, how do you think about that when the individual has tried so hard, and maybe they've made great physical gains, but they're left with these persisting challenges, and then also the compounding effect, maybe on their self-concept? How do you think about that when you're presented with that individual, let's say 10 years after?
0: Yeah, I think the main thing that I've wanted to really hold on to in my practice is optimism. Overall, there's always a chance for a change. There's always a chance for things to get better. And the mind and body are so connected. If we're not working on both at the same time. And again, like I said earlier, OTs work on meaningful occupation. So if you're doing a bunch of exercises, that's great. And there's so much value in physical therapy, but really what's going to stimulate the brain and stimulate neuroplasticity is working on things that are meaningful and working on cognition, working on psychology. And the the cool thing about OTs is that we can combine all three of those things and really create this holistic picture and work as a team with all these other physical therapists to really make sure that all of that's being addressed. While you were talking, I was thinking I've heard from so many doctors or clients saying that their doctor said, you know, oh, well, it's been one year after your injury. So that means that this is all you're going to do. There's no more chance for growth. And that's so not true. <laughs> like from the research from the concussion summits in, there was like a world concussion summit a few years ago where they discussed this question, like are concussions recoverable? And like, is there a certain date where you're just not going to get better? And I think like 97% of people agreed that that's not true. Like there's there's no expiration date. You can always make progress.
1: Yeah, so I love that, that sense of optimism. And I guess I also think, for a lot of us, right, when we're presented with a challenging health situation, we sometimes assume that the locus of control is on you, right? You're the white coat, you're the one who knows, you're the one who's going to get me better. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that part of it in that journey? And even in your clinical practice at Surrey Neuroplasticity Clinic, you know, When we're introduced to an individual that might be struggling like that and has that kind of mindset, how do you think about that side of it? Because I think that's a really empowering message that you've got.
0: Yeah, well, I love that you mentioned like the internal locus of control versus external locus of control. So internal believing you can make change, you can make things happen and external believing someone else has to fix you. I mean, we know from the research that internal locus of control, people who have that tend to get better quicker, right? Mm -hmm. And so a huge huge portion of my work is literally empowering people to believe that they can do something about their own brains. They come to me saying, "What do I do?" And I usually flip the question back to them and say, "What do you do?" What do you do? Like what what do we need to do? Like what are you passionate about? What do you love? What can we get you engaged in? And then they start turning the wheels in their head and that's where we get better, right? So, everyone is an expert in their own body and their own brain. Like and everyone's brain's a little different. Sure, I can tell you from research, like you can do this, 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 and this, but every person's gonna need a little bit of a different catered approach. And yeah. every person knows what that is for themselves.
1: Or if they don't, you can help them try to guide them towards yeah. something that could really help them, right? And and I think that's what's so exciting about your work is that you know, you're almost helping people to better understand some options that could be actually available to them. That could help them take control of their own health and own journey. And I think that's also probably scary for many, but really, yeah. you know, exciting for others because for many, like you deal with many clients that will have this concept of learn helplessness, like kind of just beat down,
0: yeah. And it's so understandable that they do because honestly, The system that we currently have right now isn't the most supportive, especially for brain health. A lot of people just don't know what to do and they don't know where to go and they feel lost. And, you know, finding a clinic like the Sereno Plus clinic that I work for or practitioners like myself that have knowledge like this is difficult, honestly. Like a lot of people come to me saying like, man, I've talked to so many people who said there's nothing we could do. And then I come to your clinic and you have all these options for me, you know? So it's like sometimes even just in the first session, telling someone you have options, here are your options, you know, is like a huge thing for a lot of people.
1: Oh, totally. And this is what I love about this work so much is that these are the options today, tomorrow, who knows? The research is constantly going. Great organizations, great companies are out there trying to help to provide more options. So that's what fuels, I think, our shared optimism is we see there's a lot of people working on this and whether the individual chooses to do anything about it, well, that's up to them. But it's almost this informed consent thing like they, or informed awareness, right? Well, actually, did you understand that you know, if you walk every day for 30 minutes, that will actually help your long-term health by X percentage? Were you aware of that? Mm -hmm. no I just thought it was a good idea to move no here's what the research says so maybe you should try at your own dose. start with that one step it is a hard thing and and sometimes it can be so overwhelming you know you hear about these ultra marathoners who start running at 60 and they're running these hundred mile runs in a day well that's I mean how am I going to do that I'm just going to sit in bed right Mm -hmm. there's no way I can do that but when you hear about the journey of starting to move a little more and then and then also self report as to how we're feeling and then you know capturing using you know good tracking of activities of daily living, oh my goodness i'm actually I actually think I might be feeling a little bit better. <laughs> well, the science yeah. says probably if you're engaging yeah. in that, right
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: yeah, so you know this is rosy and and sunshine and lollipops, but surely. Because this field is ever-changing and evolving, I think. What is it that really frustrates you in the world of brain health today?
0: Honestly, I think it's the lack of understanding about the connection between our mind, our body, our emotions. A lot of people will have this idea, especially with concussions, some people have this sort of guilt, like, maybe it's all in my head. Because it's not a visible illness, right? But nothing is purely in our minds and nothing is purely in our body either. They're always interconnected. And I feel like if we understood this more as healthcare practitioners, we could treat things more holistically rather than looking part by part, you know, like oh, you've had a brain injury, so let's just treat the brain. It's like, no, that's also impacted your life and taken away things that are really valuable to you. So we also have to treat the emotional side. And sometimes when we treat the emotional side, some of the symptoms go away. Some of the physical symptoms, like dizziness, for example, can be so highly connected to anxiety. And when we treat anxiety, sometimes dizziness goes away, but that doesn't mean that you're an anxious person or you're like a bad person because you have these like psychological things or that it's all in your head by any means because everything is, you know, subconscious and the body of the mind, it just goes back and forth. It's all connected. So it's frustrating because it's such a belief in our society that if we are anxious or sad, that there's something like morally wrong with us and that it couldn't possibly be connected to the physical things that we're experiencing. So really dispelling that stigma is important to me. I think we're really making leaps and bounds with that. And I can see it happening over time. And I'm excited to see how it evolves more over time. But yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and I think that I believe we're starting to get there with increased awareness. But I think something that also frustrates me is the labeling that, oh, it's anxiety. Oh, it's depression. Oh, oh, oh. Well, maybe, but it's a feeling. And what's underneath that feeling and what maybe, you know, one system that I was exposed to that I thought was really interesting, but very poorly named, unfortunately, but a very interesting system for communication was nonviolent communication by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. And I was introduced to his work by Sarah Cohen, a colleague of mine, and, and Howard Eaton, and was fascinated once I dug into how it worked because it made it seem to make a lot of sense and seemed to be very clear. And one of my other colleagues, Kelsey Hanna, I think he came up with the term that we used internally, which was needs-based communication, which I thought was interesting because the the whole process for that, thank you, Marsha Rosenberg. I know you've passed (laughs) on, but you're an amazing, you've been a gift to the world because it was really observe the current situation. What are the observable facts? What are the feelings that I personally have? What are my needs met or unmet? And what are my requests, right? And I remember my kid, Mike, I used it. Well, you know this about me. I like to try things and see if they actually work. I need to see them in practice. And I remember the first time I tried that with a group of children, and there was a lot of trauma involved. There's a lot of label involved. But what was interesting was once we were able to communicate that with a group of two kids, it was very clear what need was met or unmet and mm-hmm. the associated feelings that happened. But then getting them to agree to communicate whether they could simply never communicate, couldn't work, or they were willing, if they actually truly hurt each other in that moment, then they could get more in this context, more to the care that they might need, yeah, regardless of the label. Yes.
0: Yeah. You know? I love that you brought up nonviolent communication. I use it a lot in my practice. And the huge thing that I love about it too, is this feeling of being nonjudgmental, mm-hmm. right? When you do have a feeling, not judging it, because really anything that we're feeling is just our body trying to keep us safe. And a lot of times, especially I try to really drill this point home with a lot of my clients is that if you had a brain injury, you have trauma, there's a significant trauma there. And if you have anxiety or sadness, that's increased after that brain injury, it's literally just a trauma response. It's your body saying, Hey, I don't feel safe anymore. This traumatic thing happened and I don't know how to keep myself safe. So I'm going to put you into fight, flight, freeze so that I can protect you. That's literally just like, it's like a dog that's like barking at an intruder, just like a supposed intruder. It's like the mailman it's barking out, right? Trying to protect your home. That's the same thing. Your nervous system is just trying to protect the home that is your body. And so we don't need to judge that. It's not something to be judged. It's something to be like, oh, thank you for trying to protect me. I don't need to be in that state right now. I'm actually safe. So like bringing our body back into a sense
1: of safety, hugely. So well said, like rewind. That's, that's really, really well said. And acknowledging that that's a physiological experience. It's not a necessarily a psychological one. It's a physiological one. So acknowledge that, you know, that was the big thing with With so many people I've worked with, trying to get them to better understand the brainstem and the amygdala. It's just trying to keep you safe. It's been wired in there when we were around tigers, you know? So like this interaction with this particular person is causing that right now, which means there's you're not going to make any good decisions right now because there's not a lot of blood flow to the prefrontal cortex. (laughs) Acknowledge that. Just be aware of that, right? So no, I love how you explain that. I think that's such a, such a great, and I share that frustration. And I think that my hope is that in this message that, that you're sharing today, if this has value for you, download it and share this then. Because I think more people need to be aware of that. And, and sadly, I don't think many people are talking about this right now, but they should be because mm-hmm. we all have a brain. We all get into these positions at times, but very few of us actually understand what underpins that behavior. And I think you explained it really well. Absolutely,
0: and normalizing it, normalizing these experiences, it's so important, right? Because a lot of us are walking around being like, "Oh my goodness, am I the only one who like starts profusely sweating when I get a stressful email?" Like, like no, like you're not. Like, like you know, it's, yeah. it's normal. You're
1: normal. Congrats, you're human. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well. Well done. Come join us. And I mean, honestly, we all do beat ourselves up sometimes, and but also acknowledging that, right? And and just trying to move things forward. Now, I have a question. So when you think about as an OT, I mean, okay, OTs are like almost like professional goal setters too, right? They're really yeah. good at that. And so <laughs> that's something where I, I I share that passion. Maybe would you mind helping our listeners out there who, let's say they're individuals who are struggling with this. How do you think about the whole concept of goal setting and that kind of accountability? And how do people get started with that process? Maybe if they're Mm -hmm. looking to take on a new health improvement journey or any kind of self-improvement journey, how do you think about that concept of starting the process of of starting to set goals?
0: Yeah, it's a big question because there's so many components that go into goal setting. One of the first things that I do when setting goals is I think about the acronym of SMART, right? So it's specific, it's measurable, it's attainable, it's realistic, it's timely. So if your goal can meet all of those things, then it's a good goal. Another thing that I like to consider is, is it meaningful? Is it something you actually want to do? So you might want to set a goal of becoming more strong or something like that. And sure, you could just lift weights to get there, but are you lifting weights with friends? Are you, you know, going into an environment where it's like really fun to lift weights? Like maybe there's good music or you're in nature or something like that. So I think combining your goal setting with things that are meaningful or fun or engaging is really important. One thing that I, I really believe in, and not only do I believe it, the research supports it, is that if you're having fun, you neuroplasticity is increased a lot and you can improve in your goals a lot more. So I feel like that's something that's also kind of missing from rehab scenarios sometimes mm-hmm. is that like yeah. there's not a lot of fun infused and it's like how yeah. can we make this enjoyable? Yeah. So yeah, making your goals meaningful and enjoyable and making sure that they're realistic. A huge thing I notice is that people are like I have to do it all or nothing at all. And it's like okay, what if we do a little bit? You know, like, Mm -hmm. if you have a four story house, you don't have to vacuum every floor, you could do half of one one day, you know what I mean? Like breaking things down so that it's not so overwhelming.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's thank you for that. It makes me think about one of the most practical books I've read, stuff that I thought I knew really well. I don't think I went into the level of detail of it as Atomic Habits did. You know, when when he wrote that book, I was like, that's an excellent book. Everyone should read it. (laughs) You put the system first and you set yourself up for a better outcome through systems. And that's something that I I think, you know, because we do work, some work together too. That was what I saw as kind of problematic in some post-acute TBI type situations was that sometimes the system just wasn't available and accessible to the great, rehab professionals out there so that that's what we did in creating what we created was said okay well come on let's try put the system in front of everything else and then Mm -hmm. try to engage you know try to track engagement both intrinsically but also externally as to you know how that person might be doing in that and I think I think you're so you know you're so right that Rome was not built in a day but bricks were laid every hour one of my favorite quotes right but you need to know where you're putting them Right. What are we actually trying to accomplish? That's your smart goals. Right. Like, and how many people actually stick with them? Well, probably not as many as should be. But what I'd love to hear you say is for people that are really struggling right now to set a goal, and maybe they're really scared about that accountability piece, Mm
0: -hmm. what's
1: your encouragement to them? Inspire them here. Right. I've been struggling. This person out in community, maybe they're a grandmother and they've been struggling. They've been struggling to try to get into some of the habits that that really enable them to have the joy they want in their life, what's your encouragement to them?
0: I would just say, choose something really small to start with and then give yourself that reward of achieving it. Our brains respond really well to dopamine and yeah. we get the dopamine hit when we are rewarded by something. Like our, our, our dopamine or it's like a seeking system <laughs> rewards, right? So another thing I tell clients too is that set yourself up for something that's really achievable in the first week. And then give yourself a reward, give yourself your favorite treat, take yourself up for dinner, read your favorite magazine, do a bubble bath, like do some kind of reward and hold yourself accountable. Maybe tell a friend, post a Facebook status, say you're going to do something and yeah. then you're accountable, right? So you can totally do something very small and achievable and just build yourself up to that bigger thing. If you want to run a marathon, start by running around the block, you know?
1: Yeah, I love it. Thank you. You heard it here. Okay. You can, you can do it. And, and what happens if you don't, well, you tried. So maybe yeah. next time. wonderful. Totally. Like that that beats the alternative right there. No question.
0: And a great concept for this too, is something from cognitive behavioral therapy called behavior activation. So let's say I'm laying on the couch after work and I'm like, Oh, man, I'm really tired. I I don't, I'm supposed to go for a run. I don't want to go for a run. We can use something called behavior activation where you do the first step in the activity. So I don't want to go for a run, but I'm going to get up. I'm going to put my shoes on and I'm maybe going to take one step out the door. If I don't end up going for the run, that's okay. I still got up, put my shoes on. I got up off the couch. That's fine. But more often than not, if you do the first step of the activity, your brain will be primed to do the rest of it. So that's a really good tip for that too
1: it's super tangible and take home so impractical. Now, you're obviously very well read and you know, I'm always curious and I think our listeners are too. What are some of the most key influences you've had on your perspective in brain health? Is there what maybe one book? Is there was there a professor, a paper, a person?
0: Yes. So, when I was younger, I was really into a podcast called Radio Lab and they interviewed Oliver Sacks who is just a world-renowned, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing person in the field of neuroscience. And he was probably my inspiration to do neuroscience as my undergrad. I just love it when people can take really complex concepts and make them seem poetic or beautiful or easy to understand. And he did an amazing job with that. So Oliver Sacks, Norman Deutsch who wrote The Brain That Changes Itself, a brilliant book for anyone who's interested in this kind of stuff, and also really interested in the trauma side of things. So Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, and Deb Dana are just amazing. Stephen Porges, those two people are really interested in like polyvagal theory. So that's a big influence on my work.
1: Love it. Very good, and we'll make sure that those are available in the in the show notes for listeners. You just click and check those out. So, when you think about this world right now in in brain health, occupation, occupational therapy, what's your hope for the future?
0: Well, the hope that I have is that technology is consistently evolving, and we're learning so much about the brain. People ask me like, why did you get into brain health? And I'm like, because it's like exploring space or exploring the ocean. Like, there's so much there, and we're learning more and more about it every day. But the cool thing is that we don't have to go anywhere. It's in our own heads. It's right there. But the things that are evolving, so we have narrow feedback, we have brain stimulation, we have bagel stimulation, we have, you know, the bears program. Like mm. all these things are amazing technological pursuits. And they're changing lives and changing brains. And that's just getting started. Like we're at the we're at the beginning of this like amazing journey. So I have a lot of hope that. As technology evolves, we're just going to get better and better at, at treating people and helping people live the lives that they want.
1: I agree. And I, I think a lot of that starts with education. And that's really the point of the of, of this podcast is, is to share really good kind of information about what's going on in this space from some leaders in the field. So for people that are out there right now, they're they're struggling. Maybe they live in British Columbia, maybe they live in Alberta, who knows, but they need occupational therapy to help. They're interested in what you may be able to do, whether you could help them or refer them to a place that might be able to, how do people get a hold of you and your clinic?
0: Yeah. So we're the Surrey Neuroplasticity Clinic. So you can find us online, smpc.tech. And I'm sure you'll link to it in the show notes. Of course, of course. And then also, yeah, so my name is Zara. We have a whole bunch of amazing practitioners. We have counselors, OTs, PTs, KINs. It's a really nice holistic clinic. I also have Uplift Virtual Therapy. That's on TikTok and Instagram. So you can find, I have a whole bunch of videos that talk about the nervous system, regulating your nervous system, brain health, that kind of stuff on there. So if you wanted some easily accessible stuff there, and our clinic does the neural feedback as well. The great thing about the neural feedback that our clinic offers is that it can be delivered to your home. So you get the device delivered to you, and then you could use it Literally, whenever you want, we can deliver it around the world and you'll have a coach basically coaching you through using that device and how it can change your brain. I can talk a little bit more about neurofeedback if you want.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. That'd be great. We've got a couple more minutes. so let's Let's do it.
0: Neurofeedback. Basically, what we've discovered is that we have all these unconscious things going on in our body, right? We have our autonomic nervous system, yeah. unconscious things going on like our heart rate and the electricity on our brain and our skin conductance and stuff like that. If we create a feedback loop, then we can help control those things. So for example, if we create a feedback loop with our heart, we can control our heart rate. We can make our heart rate go down when we want it to go down. So we found a way to create a feedback loop with our brain where we can see our brain's electricity on a screen in front of us. And over time, you can learn to control your brain's electricity. And that's important because... We have different kinds of waves, so slow waves to fast waves, depending on what we're doing. And sometimes what happens when we have trauma or we have ADHD or depression or anxiety or whatever it is, we might be producing the wrong kind of brain waves at the wrong time. So by using this technology, you can train your brain by giving it positive feedback every time it's in a good state in the form of a game on a phone. And that trains your brain to be in the right brain waves. So to be more calm, focused, relaxed. It's kind of like giving a dog a cookie every time it does something good. We're rewarding the brain every time it's in the space that we want it to be in. Love it.
1: And then reinforcing that pathway, which is neuroplasticity. Exactly. I mean, I, I love it. So, you know, for listeners out there Please, please, please! They're doing a great job over there at studying neuroplasticity. You know, I've known them for a long time. I've known you know the work of Brian Darcy for a long time, but also Tanya Yardley over there, uh, Balraj, the whole team. They're all very good people doing good work. So I encourage you to check them out. And I want to thank you for sharing your vision with us today. I learned a lot, and that's the goal. <laughs> Hopefully, our listeners learned a lot because that really is the purpose for this podcast. So. Thank you for your time. And if this had value for you, share it, download it, share it with your community. My hope is that it will help people to better understand the options that are available for them out there today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast podcast was designed with an intention and an objective and that was to share stories of rehabilitation of recovery from brain injury to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members so thank you again for all of the support with that if this episode resonated for you and had value for you we just ask please download and share it Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the BEARS platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neural rehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode.
0: statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.